So as I do every Sunday, I'm going to stand up here and rave about Jesus. And the ways that I'm going to rave about Jesus today is to talk about His grace and talk about His mercy. I know it's a special day, it's a special service, but we're done talking about a building. We're shifting our attention to talking about our King. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy that He shows to each and every one of us. Amazing grace and phenomenal mercy. Everyone knows the song Amazing Grace. It's the most well-known Christian anthem in the world, I imagine. It's unfortunate that the song Phenomenal Mercy didn't catch on. I think it just had too many syllables. It was a good song in its own right, but just... Phenomenal mercy. So phenomenal. Yeah, it just... Grace and mercy. That's what our Lord shows to us. We're going to read a passage of Scripture, which is going to be kind of the the core passage of Scripture for this message. And it's going to be from John chapter 8, where we're going to read a story that we know as the woman caught in adultery. And talking about grace and mercy, those things stand out even more when we talk about another subject. And that's judgment. See, judgment is all about accountability. Accountability saying, if you did crime or sin number one, you're accountable for crime or sin number one. Well, we're going to read something in James chapter 2 that levels the playing field for every one of us. James 2.10 says this, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for what? For all of it. Playing field now leveled. But I'm pretty good. I don't do the bad sins. I just do the little sins. I just gossip and lie and slander people. But I've never killed anybody. That's the big sin playing field leveled. If we're guilty of one, we're guilty of it all. There is no big sin and little sin. There is no really, I mean, it is sin. It is our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. Not someone else's sin, friends. Our sin. It was our sin. It was my sin. I've never killed anybody. Who cares? Most of us, most of us in this room haven't. I'll say all of us in this room haven't. But check this out. Three verses later, we read the most amazing good news in verse 13 of James 2. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank God for that. His mercy triumphs over judgment. We don't have to fear judgment when we can run to His mercy to His mercy. And bringing glory to God for His mercy, for His grace. And in reading through John chapter 8, we will find incredible freedom in this story of the woman caught in adultery. There's something really interesting about this. And I'm not going to read the end of it, but I will read the beginning of John chapter 8. John chapter 8 begins with a group of men 
wanting to stone a woman. And John chapter 8 ends with the same group of men wanting to stone Jesus. When we talk about stoning, I want to make it abundantly clear what kind of stones we're talking about. These are stones for the purpose of murder. These are stones for the purpose of taking life, guys. These aren't pebbles. When we talk about men, religious leaders of the day, being so enraged that their hypocrisy is exposed, that they want to stone, we're talking about life and death. The story actually begins with the last verse of John chapter 7. So I'm going to read the last verse of John chapter 7, then I'm going to go into John chapter 8. John 7, 53 says this, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. They each went to their own homes, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Just want to make it clear, Jesus didn't have a ski condo on the Mount of Olives. Jesus went there to do what? To pray. I love it. You had your hands raised, Sonny. She's like, I know the answer. It's pray. He went there to pray. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Chapter 8 begins with the religious authorities of the day literally throwing a test at Jesus' feet while he sat in the courtyard temple teaching the people. And this test that those leaders at the time through Jesus' way, it came with collateral damage. And they were completely willing for this collateral damage to take place. Still continuing in John 8, verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. This is the first of two times that we see Jesus writing in the sand, writing on the ground. We don't know exactly what he wrote those two times, but I can guarantee this. He was intentional about whatever he wrote. He wasn't scribbling. He wasn't playing tic-tac-toe. There was intentionality in what he wrote. So what do you say, Jesus? And he writes, in order to trip up Jesus and to contradict the law, These leaders were willing to ruin the lives of this woman caught in adultery, of her husband or her fiancé, of their families. I find it interesting. You can't commit adultery by yourself. But it's only the woman caught in adultery that was thrown before Jesus as part of this test. But these leaders were willing to throw away lives, to ruin reputations, to ruin lives for the sake of tripping up Jesus. What's interesting about this part of the courtyard where Jesus chose to teach is this. 
according to religious tradition, there were parts of the temple where women were allowed. And it was a very... they, They weren't allowed in most of the temple. They weren't allowed to go in, but they were allowed in the courtyard. And this was the place where Jesus was. This was the place where Jesus was teaching. Even as on... As much audacity as, as these leaders had, they still wouldn't have thrown a woman into places of the temple where women weren't allowed. They wouldn't have done that. This wasn't Jesus' first time teaching in this location in the temple. Why? Because his desire is that all would hear. That all would hear the good news. That all would be taught. That all would know his love. This wasn't the first time he had done that. Anyone else just suspect that that kind of messed with the good old boys club of those religious leaders, of those scribes and Pharisees. Seeking to entrap Jesus, these men burst into the women's courtyard and they threw a married or an engaged woman before him. They had literally caught her in the act of adultery and seized her and brought her before Jesus. I'm certain of this. To make their point, I'm certain they didn't give her time to get dressed. Much more compelling case when someone's caught in adultery if you leave them uncovered. So they threw her unclothed and uncovered at the feet of Jesus. Little did they know that there is no better place for a sinner to be than uncovered at the feet of Jesus. Little did they know that that was a place of mercy, not of judgment. It was a place of grace and restoration, not of persecution and murder. Now here comes the test. Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. The law says she must die. What do you say? No answer. What do you say? No answer. Jesus, what do you say? What do you say? That's an important question. What does Jesus say? Before we get to that, I want to ask another question. It's just as vital as that question, Jesus, what do you say? And the question is this. Who is this woman? Who is this woman? The answer may surprise you. That woman is you. That woman is me. That woman is us. See, I read that passage that if you're guilty of one part of the law, of breaking one, you're you're accountable for it all. We have all sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who is that woman? It is us. Every single one of us. In need of a Savior. In need of grace. In need of mercy. So we're not going to try and point fingers at one particular person. Friends, it's us. We have all sinned. And as I said, there's no big sins and little sins, guys. There's just sin. Friends, we will experience and we will give freedom if we have eyes to see this truth. Lord, give us eyes to see this truth.
Let's see the grace of God demonstrated by Jesus. When asked, what do you say? What do you say? Jesus remained silent at first. He wrote with his finger in the dirt. And then we'll pick up in verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote in the ground. I've heard some interesting theories in this. And we don't know. They're just theories. I've heard people say, I wonder if Jesus sat there and wrote, you know, Bob. Bob's a good Jewish name. Bob. You know, he's 102. Bob. And and maybe wrote a date or wrote a sin or wrote something. Because then it says that one by one, starting with the oldest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. I I don't know what he wrote, but it was intentional. But it says, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. I think the older ones, because the older ones, they've lived longer, they've committed more sin. I don't know. It's just math. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? I'm certain she looked around. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Go in grace and in freedom from this act of sin and don't go back to it. There's no life in it. See, there's life in His grace and in His freedom, but there is no life in staying in a pattern of sin, guys. It only leads to death. Self-righteous men exposed an adulterous woman and a sinless, merciful king exposed the hypocrisy of those self-righteous men. In the heart of God, righteousness and justice are both grounded in the same thing. In the heart of God, righteousness and justice are both grounded in grace. Whenever grace is removed, what are we left with? Heartless hypocrisy. Religion without relationship. In this story, Jesus didn't overturn the law as these men were trying to trap Jesus to do. Instead, he reestablished righteousness on the basis of grace. Where was grace found? Where was grace found? And where is grace found for you and I? In this story, grace was found at the feet of Jesus. In this story, 
Grace was found on the ground, in the dirt, in the sand, where Jesus wrote in this story. Grace were found in the rocks. But not the purpose of those rocks. See, Jesus repurposed these. He repurposed these. These were meant to bring condemnation and accusation and persecution. And these were found when one by one they were dropped. That's when grace was found. When Jesus took away the power of accusation. You guys, the enemy has no accusation against us when we find ourselves in Christ Jesus. He has no place to accuse us. We are guiltless. We are innocent. We are free. So there's grace found in those rocks. When we run to Jesus, guys, there's grace found in every bit of it. Grace was found in the merciful words of Jesus saying, I've silenced the accusations against you. And neither do I accuse you. Go in freedom. Live in grace. Sin no more. Not not be perfect. He's not saying, go and, and be perfect and never sin again. He's saying, leave behind that pattern of sin that only leads to death. See, Jesus didn't say that because he was afraid she'd be stoned again. Jesus said that because he knows that sin hurts the ones that he loves. Sin hurts and kills. And that's why he said that. Because he loves us. While the law demanded execution, Jesus reestablished righteousness on the basis of grace. Don't get me wrong, guys. Sin kills. Sin kills. Sin leads to death. That's why we need a Savior. Gossip, lying, murder, rage, hurtful words, they, they're sin. And they lead to death. And we need a Savior. God doesn't ignore sin. He loves us too much to do so. Grace welcomes in forgiveness. Grace does. It welcomes in forgiveness. But friends, grace also fills us with power to live a new life. To live life differently. To live life following Jesus Christ with our eyes set on Him in freedom. Holiness is built on the experience of grace. Not on the fear of the law. Jesus says something amazing. In Romans 2, 4, it says it's God's kindness leads us to repentance. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? It's not shame. It's not guilt. It's not that we feel bad. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. This woman found new life in the grace of God. New life in the grace of God. But let's not forget that she found it the hard way. Okay? She, she was uncovered and shamed and her, her sin was exposed and she was thrust before Jesus as a part of a test of wicked men under the guise of religion or godliness. But 
She found out about it the hard way. Friends, you and I don't have to do that. You see, we can come to Jesus on our own. We can come to the feet of Jesus on our own with humility, with a humble heart and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your freedom. I need your healing. I'm hurting, Lord. This is God's desire for us, church. This right here is God's desire. Not, not that, that we just come when, we're, when our back's up against the wall, when we've hit that place, when now we have to. Or, you know, when, when we've been exposed. And just so I'm abundantly clear, it's the enemy who exposes and hurts. It's the enemy who brings shame and all of these things. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. But when you mix that with the grace of God, it's much different than our experience of, of condemnation. Friends, let's come to the feet of Jesus. Let's willingly come to the feet of Jesus and say, here it is. Here, here I am. All of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. Here I am, Lord. And I lay myself before you. And I look to you for your grace. Your amazing grace. And your phenomenal mercy.